Good morning. All right. Well, it is good to see you this morning. Welcome to the guests who have joined us today. I feel very privileged, very blessed to have two guests with us today. We've got an old friend with us from Fargo and new friends, Pastor Nicholas and his wife Katie, who are Ukrainian and who are now serving as missionaries in Germany, are with us this morning, and you'll be able to hear more from uh, Pastor Nicholas and his wife later in the service. So it's very thankful this morning to see you all. Will you pray? Let's pray and ask God's help as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for as Pastor Jonathan reminded us, richly blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Lord, you became poor so that we might become rich, and we thank you and praise you for it. Lord, we ask and pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, in our minds today to grow and change and shape us, God, that we might um, grow in our faith grow in being faithful stewards of the resources that you have given to us. So we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. It was great to preach uh, last week from Deuteronomy uh, on the idea of having a feast uh, in celebration and thanksgiving to God for all of his provision. And now this week, as we turn the corner and move into the Christmas season, we get to look at a passage, uh, at, at, we get to look at joyful worship, giving as joyful worship, which is just so fitting because uh, it's this season of the year that's associated with giving in view of what God has given us in Christ, our salvation and eternal life in Him, through repentance and faith in Him. So the, the timing of these sermons, I wish we could say that that was because of careful planning on our part, but it has nothing to do with that. It's all because of God's providence, which I think is so cool. Now, as we start today, I need a, uh, a young volunteer this morning. Who wants to help me this morning? Will you raise your hand? Are you volunteering? Your <laughs> Will you help me? It works good because you can stay right where you are. You don't even have to get up for this. You just have to stay there. I've got $10 here, 10 $1 bills, and all I want you to do is to hold this for me, keep track of it for me, take care of it for me. Can you do that? Okay, I will be coming back to you in a little bit. You good? Okay, I'm trusting you with that. Don't go running off on me. Okay, great. Uh, back to the sermon. Now, I've titled this sermon, Beyond the Tithe, and I don't normally draw attention to the sermon titles because most of the time they're pretty lame, but this title uh, was chosen intentionally for two reasons. First, as we're going to see, we are no longer bound by the tithe law given in particular to Israel, and so we go beyond the tithe in that sense. But secondly, however, the principle still applies and our giving should be greater in Christ than theirs was under the law. So in that sense, we go beyond the tithe in our giving. 10% is not the ceiling, it's the floor of our giving. 
Now, I want to recommend also at the start of this sermon, this book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. If you have not read this, pick up a copy. It's definitely in my top 10. It is the most comprehensive theology on money. It is so good. Read that book. Now, my goal uh, this morning is to encourage you, to encourage your giving. But God doesn't want you to give under compulsion, but cheerfully. So I don't want to guilt you into giving, but I do want to inspire generosity. Moses connects our joy in the Lord with our giving to the Lord. We give God's money for God's work, bringing God's glory and finding God's joy. It's a privilege and a blessing to give. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive, and I hope you'll see why as we go through this sermon today. Turn to your Bibles then to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 29. That's our text for today. And the message for us is this, give generously, cheerfully, and regularly to God's kingdom work. Go beyond the tithe in giving for the cause of Christ and his kingdom. And we're going to answer four questions today related to this. First, must Christians tithe? We're going to look at going beyond the tithe. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this question. However, a simple yes or no to this question would be misleading. As we've already seen, as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy, some of the Old Testament laws do not apply to us in a simple one-to-one fashion as Christians. And that's because many of the laws were for the nation of Israel, and now the kingdom of God spans nations. And because Christ fulfilled the law. Christ is the lens that we look through to see how the principles apply to us. So the person, work, and teaching of Christ become the lens through which we look at the law to see how these principles apply. Verse 22 says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. So first of all, what is a tithe? The word tithe here is a verb. It means to take a tenth of. So God commands them to give 10% of all of their harvest to him yearly. Okay, can I have one dollar? Okay, thank you. One dollar. I gave him $10, here's $1. This is a tithe. It's one part out of 10. Thank you very much, I appreciate that. Um, That's a tithe, 10%. God said a tithe of everything from the land belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord, Leviticus 27, verse 30. It included their livestock as well. Look at verse 23, the firstborn of your herd and flock. So 10% of everything, grain, wine, oil, animals, all of it. It was holy to the Lord. That means set apart to God, used for his purposes as he decides. It supported the priests and the Levites and the most vulnerable among them, as we're going to see. But tithing didn't originate with Moses. Jacob promised God, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Genesis 28, 22. Moses formalized the practice in the law. Now, true, this is just a narrative. It only tells us what Jacob did. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Yet, it describes a faithful response to God, and this is coming before Moses gives the law. 
Second, Jesus affirms the tithe. He rebukes the Pharisees for tithing uh, the spices, mint, cumin, and dill, but neglecting the weightier issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Matthew 23, 23. Now, we might expect Jesus to say something like, hey, <clears throat> do the essentials and leave the spices on the rack. <laughs> Dismissing the, the tithe part. But, he says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, you should do the essentials, right? Justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the tithe. Now, true, this is before the church was formed, but there's another indication that this principle continues in the early church. Paul says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Paul reminds the church that the Levites lived off the tithes, and he draws this parallel to supporting those who give their lives in ministry. By pointing to how it was done in the Old Testament, it's reasonable that tithing would have been the early church's guiding principle, even though it wasn't, strictly speaking, a command. So, all that to say, Christians are not obligated to tithe, yet the principles of regular, proportional, generous, cheerful giving still continue. And for the same reasons, to learn to fear the Lord, to provide for the work of ministry, to support the most vulnerable. Just as Christians are not obligated to keep the Sabbath, but the principle of setting aside one day uh, in seven for rest and worship continues, so the principle for giving continues. It's hard to see, I think, how New Covenant Christians with transformed hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us would be less willing to give to the work of Christ and His kingdom. As Irenaeus puts it, the Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes. Christians who have liberty assign all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely, not the lesser portion of their property, since they have the hope of greater things. Notice he's saying Christians who have liberty give not the lesser portion of their monies and possessions. So tithing is a good starting place for giving, just as it was the starting place for giving in the Old Testament. Tithing in the Old Testament was not the end of their giving. It was the beginning. The tithe was the floor, not the ceiling for giving. They gave beyond the tithe in their free will offerings. So as Randy Alcorn says, tithing is like the training wheels of giving. <laughs> training wheels are meant to come off, but that's how we begin. For some, giving 10% is a lofty goal. So must Christians tithe? No matter how you answer that question, everyone agrees that God's people, both old and new, are to be giving generously. And in the end, I think a better question is, how can I manage my resources and my living so that I can give more? Why does God get to tell us what to do with our money and possessions? Because in reality, they belong to him and not to us. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in the earth, everything on the earth is the Lord's. We're not owners, but stewards. 
Giving is really about stewardship. God has entrusted resources to us, and he expects us to manage them for his kingdom and his glory. So every time we use a resource, we reveal what kind of stewards we are. Okay, I'd like two more dollars from you, please. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Okay, now I've got three dollars here. This is not 10% of what I gave to him. This is 30% of what I gave to him. 30%. Of course, no one thinks that it's strange or unfair for me to have 30% of what I gave him because it was never really his to begin with. So it is with our giving. When you follow the principle and give 10% of your income, it's not like the other 90% is yours. It all belongs to God. God doesn't just have a claim on 10% or 30%, but 100% of what you have. When we realize that, it's a game changer for us. As Alcorn writes, we stop thinking, how much am I going to give out of the goodness of my heart? And we start asking this question, you know what? Since everything that I have is yours, Lord, how do you want me to invest it in your kingdom at this time? And how much do you want me to invest? And this leads us to point two. Why do we give? We give for our good and the good of God's kingdom. We're going to see two reasons for giving. Verse 23 says, And before the Lord your God... In the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Right there, the end of verse 23, is the purpose for the tithe and the purpose of our giving. It is to learn the fear of the Lord always. So first, giving impacts you personally. It's good for you. It teaches us to fear the Lord, but the fear of the Lord, to fear the Lord in what way? In what way does it teach that? Well, it teaches you to trust and obey and to worship God, to fear the Lord by giving in obedience, to fear the Lord by trusting Him for ongoing provision. You see, when we give, a question naturally arises in our minds. Will there be enough left for us? Giving is a test of our obedience and faith, especially because we give to God off the top from our gross and not our net earnings. The first of their fields and flocks were for God. We don't give God from our leftovers. We give our first and our best to the Lord. We give first and live on the rest. So giving trains us to put God first in our lives. That's the point. It's a tangible reminder that, that life is not about us. It's about God and his kingdom. It affirms the lordship of Jesus Christ. It dethrones us and enthrones Christ. God does not exist for me. I exist for God. It reminds us that everything we have is from God and for God. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. God determines how much he's going to entrust to us. The question is, how will you steward it? But 
Giving also fights covetousness and greed. Moses already warned us in chapter 8 not to let money and possessions make us forget God. Jesus also warns us to be on guard against all covetousness because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 15. Giving is a way to fight covetousness and greed because when we give, we are letting go of something else that we might have had for ourselves. It strikes right at the heart of covetousness and greed. But giving is also an act of worship. They were supposed to take a portion of their tithe and bring it to this central place of worship and eat it there before God. Their giving was tied to their worship. The connection of the tithe with this special feast is unique in Deuteronomy. And it would be impractical and virtually impossible for them, for a family, to consume 10% of its annual produce in one meal at the sanctuary. So most likely, this is just a portion of the tithe being used. And if the distance is too great, God allowed them to exchange that part, their crops and animals, into money, and then when they got there, they could buy whatever they want when they arrived. Verse 26, And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. This sacred meal was a joyous time of family worship to be celebrated with the entire household. Giving was supposed to be an act of worship, one that celebrated and gave thanks to God for his provision, one that trusted him. It was an act of trust in God's provision for the future. The tithe was an act of joyful worship in honor of the Lord who was the giver of everything that they had. And it was supposed to train their children in the fear and the joy of the Lord at the same time. Just like we talked about last week with this Feast of Thanksgiving. The point then is that giving is a form of worship. It is literally putting your money where your mouth is in this case. Like Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving shapes our heart. It shows that God is our treasure. Now, the subject of money and possession comes up in Jesus' teaching more than the subject of heaven and hell combined. Why such an emphasis in his teaching on money and possessions? It's because there's a connection between your spiritual life and your stewardship. There's a connection between our faith and our finances. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, Matthew 6, 24. So give. Give is an act of joyful worship. It teaches you to fear the Lord, training you to trust Him and treasure Him. So first, giving is for your good. It's for your progress and joy in the faith. The second, giving impacts God's mission. So we give to support God's work in the world. And that leads us to point three. Who needs our giving? We give to support the work of Christ in the world. First, we support those who are serving the Lord in ministry. Look at verses 27 and 29. That's where we see this. Moses says, And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your town, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. The same thing is repeated in verse 29. That's the purpose of the tithe given in Leviticus and Numbers. The point is is that God is calling Israel to give special care to those who minister to them on God's behalf. And we've seen that that principle continues in the New Testament. Paul affirms 
the support for the Levites as a good example for Christians to follow in supporting those who give their lives to gospel ministry. So again, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's referring to when Jesus said the laborer deserves his wages. That's recorded in Luke 10, 7. So we give to support pastors and missionaries. That is to support the cause of Christ in the world. Second, though, we also give to support the most vulnerable. We see this in verses 28 and 29. Moses says, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. This is also unique to Deuteronomy. This this. Every third year, the whole tithe would be stored in the village and used to support Levites, sojourners, orphans, and widows, collecting it for immediate or future needs. And the sojourner makes me think of the Ukrainian refugees. Somewhere between 14 and 20 million people have been displaced from their homes. Millions of people are living in other nations. The fatherless is a reference to orphans. It's children without the the protection and provision of their fathers. Widows are women, wives, without the, the protection and provision of their husbands. Here we're seeing God's heart for the poor and the needy, for the weak and the vulnerable. They are a top priority for God, and they should be a top priority for us as well. Okay. So can I have one more dollar? Sorry, just thank you so much. Appreciate that. Okay, so now I have four dollars here, and I just want to say these four dollars represent the four people that Moses uh, was talking about or mentions here in this text. The minister, the sojourner, the, the widow, and the orphan. And this all leads us now to the principles of giving. In our fourth question, how do we give? We want to look at these principles. Give generously, purposefully, cheerfully, regularly, proportionally. So first, give purposefully. We see this in our text and in the rest of the Bible. We're to give purposefully. Right? The tithe is holy to the Lord. It's set apart to God. It's to be used for His purposes, the way He directs us. We just saw that in giving to the work of God in the world in the last point. We give for the cause of Christ and His kingdom. Second, we give generously. The Bible is clear. God's people are to be generous. The tithe was not the end, but the starting place for their giving. Beyond the tithe were free will offerings. Now, as Paul writes in the context of giving, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 2 Corinthians 6.6 6. The harvest that we reap is the fruit of kingdom ministry in us and in the world. Now, there are several examples of generous giving that we could uh, look at throughout the scriptures. We could look at their giving to the tabernacle recorded in Exodus 36, or the giving of the early church in, in Acts chapter 2, or we could look at the widow's might, or Zacchaeus, or Barnabas. But the example that Paul points to is the churches in Macedonia as an example for giving. He writes, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. Now, how in the world do the phrases severe affliction, abundant joy, extreme poverty, and wealth of generosity all fit into one sentence describing one people? How does that work? The answer is, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 2 Corinthians 8.5 Our giving to others is rooted in first giving of ourselves to Christ. Generosity is a response in our hearts to God's overwhelming grace to us. Third, give regularly and proportionately. Systematic intentional giving is the biblical principle in both testaments. This is what the tithe required. It was regular, year by year. It was intentional. They had to look at the numbers to know how much is 10%. You had to know what the numbers are. You had to do some calculating. Tithing literally trains us to count our blessings. These, these principles remain. Give regularly. Paul told the Corinthians, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Give proportionally. The Bible says the disciples determined each according to his ability, his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Now, I know that this was for a special situation, giving for the relief of the church in Jerusalem, but there's no reason why the principles would not also apply in our normal giving. And don't wait until you have more money, thinking, when I have more, I'll give more. The statistics on giving just don't bear that out. The average Christian today gives 2.5% to church. It was 3.3% during the Great Depression. It's not about having more. It's about giving yourself first to the Lord and then giving. So give regularly and proportionally. Fourth, give willingly and cheerfully. Giving, as we've seen, is meant to be a joyful act of worship. God is concerned with our hearts. We see that in our text. He wants the the giving of the tithe to be a source of joy before Him, rejoicing for your whole household. Giving is not a have-to. It's a get-to. We get to give. It is a privilege to give. We give God's money for God's work, bringing God's glory and finding God's joy. Paul writes, each one should give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just like the Israelites giving for the tabernacle, everyone whose heart moved him gave. The Macedonians, Paul says, begged for the privilege of giving, 2 Corinthians 8, 4. See, when we have a kingdom vision, then we give beyond duty. We give willingly and cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. God delights in those who delight to give. There's joy in generosity. I have a friend who works uh, locally at a a company that manages charitable giving for Christians, and he said to me 
a couple weeks ago, he said, you rarely meet a crabby person who is truly generous. Generous people are joyful people. Giving leads to our joy because we know we're investing in eternity in the kingdom of God. When David is building the temple, we read this uh, earlier from 1 Chronicles 29, the people gave greatly out of what God had given to them, offering freely and joyously to the Lord, verse 17. And David prays to God, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts to you. Their giving was a measure of their love and their loyalty to God. So give this way for the cause of Christ and his kingdom and teach your children to give this way. And kids, if you have an allowance, give this way. And young people, if you have a job, give this way. Give generously, regularly, proportionately, and cheerfully. Now, I want to end where Moses ends this text with a final encouragement. The encouragement is giving brings God's blessing and God's glory. We see this in verse 29. The final word is a motivation to encourage their giving. Moses ends his instruction on the tithe, adding that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. God encourages our giving with the promise of blessing all our labors. Certainly this includes material blessing, their farms and their flocks, but it would also include other things like their labor in making disciples of their children, their labor in serving others, their labor in being faithful friends and spouses, all their labors in the Lord. The blessings would be spiritual as well. And we've already seen many of those when we looked at how giving teaches us to fear the Lord. And we see the exact same encouragement in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. It's in the context of giving that we see my favorite promise. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Paul breaks out here like he does in other places into this like amazing doxological statement. He's, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How he says that to encourage their giving. And then he says in verses 10 and 11, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Through giving, God increases the harvest of your righteousness. We've already seen that, right? We've seen how God uses our giving to grow us spiritually. He says you'll be enriched in every way for your generosity, so you can be generous in every way. The blessings are spiritual, not just material, and God is glorified by this giving. It overflows in many thanksgivings to God, which he equates with glorifying God. We're praising God for his provision. He says they'll glorify God for your submission and generosity flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution. There it is again. It starts with submission to Christ in the gospel. That's what leads to our generosity. It's a great blessing to us, and it brings great glory to God. But I want you to notice that God here tells us why he gives us more than we need. It's the same reason in Deuteronomy. God in his providence gives more to some than he does to others so that they both might learn to trust and obey him. 
The poor entrusting God to provide. The rich in faithfully stewarding what God has given them. God prospers us so that we might give more, not so that we can have more for ourselves. When God gives us more, we say, this is a blessing. But it's just as true to say, this is a test. God entrusts me with resources not to build my own kingdom, but to build His. And the encouragement for us is this. God is going to give you everything that you need to do everything that He asks. That's the promise of 2 Corinthians 9.8. And that includes your giving. All right, well, it's the end of the sermon, and I feel like our volunteer has done well. Can we give him a round of applause? Well done, well done. You can keep the 10 bucks as a reward. In the end, the Lord is also going to return and evaluate our stewardship. And God has given us so much more than 10 bucks. So give generously, cheerfully, and regularly. Go beyond the tithe in giving to the cause of Christ and His kingdom. Trust that God will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And may the Lord find us all faithful when he returns. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your provision. We thank you for richly blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for giving us life and breath and everything. Everything we have is yours, and we give you thanks and praise for it. We ask and pray that through our giving, you would help us to learn the fear of the Lord always. God, let our giving lead us to worship and lead us to bless others. Would you multiply our seed for sowing, giving us joy as we give, giving you glory as your kingdom rule grows in us and in the world. That's what we want to see, God. So we ask for that and we pray for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.